Welcome back to the Homestead Connection. Leanne here, and today I am very excited to explore the topic of herbalism and foraging with you guys. I have the pleasure of being joined by my friend Jen from Little Homestead in the Hills. Jen, why don't you start us off by telling us more about yourself and your homestead? Um, I am a wife and a mom. I homestead with my family in Middle Tennessee on a small piece of rented property, which for us was a huge thing. We moved about 16 months ago from the West Coast. We were part of that huge exodus out of the West Coast. Um, And we didn't really know what God had for us when we headed this way. We rented an old Amish farmhouse, (laughs) sight unseen. And to say going from um, owning our home to renting was not absolute shock. It was luckily we were really, really blessed with a fantastic um, landlord who basically said, do whatever you want. Just, you can't take down any walls. So that was a huge blessing. And it gave us the opportunity to take what we were doing as homesteaders in Oregon and really expand on it. So we were able to finally add the livestock that we wanted and just continue to grow forward in our journey, which has been amazing. Um, I am a master herbalist. I've been in herbalist for about 10 years and we run a small apothecary here on the homestead. Awesome. Um, Do you like sell stuff out of your home or? Yeah. So um, I dipped my toe a little bit in clinical herbalism. I have a friend that mentored me trying to get started in clinical herbalism. Um, I took on a couple clients and it just wasn't my favorite thing ever, Um, especially in the season of life. Like I said, I've got five kids, so life is insane. We homeschool and trying to find the time to be able to really pour into clients was not something that I was finding really easy to do. So I took a step back from clinical herbalism and now we teach foraging classes and herbal classes here on the farm and then we will go to other farms and teach classes for them. And then I do have an Etsy store and then I will sell physical products um, at, you know, conferences or things like that. So. That, yeah, that sounds awesome. And um, that actually leads us right into the next question. Um, so like what got you into herbalism and foraging like in the pro- in the first place? Yeah. So in 2014, um, my husband and I were in California. We were living pretty standard suburban lives. My husband was in the military and gardening and growing our own food was not even on the radar. Um if it came on styrofoam wrapped in plastic or we did it in a drive-thru is kind of how we lived (laughs) and somehow out of the blue my husband said you know i really think we should grow a garden and i was like grow a garden i'm like what are you like gonna put in roses and he's like no i think i want to grow food and I think I stared at him for probably 10 minutes and I was like, you're crazy. Why are we growing food? Like we could go to the grocery store. Your dad <laughs> drops a bag of groceries off at our house once a week. Like what do we need to grow food for? And he goes, right. I don't know. I just, I really feel like we need, like we should put a garden in. And I'm like, okay. 
so we went to the store and we bought some seeds um, and we bought some just, I think they were like Bonnie or whatever we could get at Lowe's. That year we grew one tomato plant and a zucchini plant and some beans and some pickling cucumbers. And I think we got carrot seeds, but we were arguing so much about where we were going to put the carrots that we didn't actually end up even planting them. Um, and I remember walking out into my backyard and picking that first cherry tomato right off the vine. It was still warm from being in the sun. And I popped that little cherry tomato into my mouth and it was a game changer. Mm -hmm. um, everything that I thought I knew about food at that moment shifted um, because yeah. there was nothing that you could purchase at the grocery store that tasted anything like that tomato. And as our season progressed and we started collecting and harvesting more and more of the food out of our backyard, there was nothing that compared. And I went kind of on a search to find something that compared that we weren't growing ourselves and there was nothing. Um, and I'd always been really interested in the healthcare side of things. I was really sick as a kid. I spent a lot of time in hospitals. Um, I had my kidney removed when I was 15, just all of these things. And one of the things that all of the doctors said was, oh, well, your diet plays a huge role in your health. And I was always like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, right. Of course, you have to say that, like, don't smoke, don't do this and eat good food. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so I started really looking into food as a first form of defense in trying to shift our health and, and looking at how your food and your health actually go together. And nutrition is really that first and that's the front line of all of your health. And I started looking into gut health and all of these things just sort of started spiraling into this crazy journey that brought me to this point. Um, about a year after we started, we moved from California to Oregon. And in the tiny little town that we lived in in Oregon, everybody just kind of used herbs. It was just kind of a thing. You have a headache, you use an herb, you don't really take Tylenol. And I was like, what is this like? I'm going to, I'm going to like munch on this peppermint and it's going to make my headache go away. Like you people are crazy. Okay. I mean, I get like eating good food to help your health, but like mm -hmm. chewing on plants in your backyard. Um, and I got really, really lucky because the doctor in our town was actually a naturopath and a master herbalist. And I started just talking to her and she kind of set me on this whole journey um, so I started reading some books. I absolutely fell in love with it. I dove in head first in over my head, like complete reckless abandon into herbalism. Um, yeah. I actually mentored under her for about four years. And through the process of that, I got to meet a lot of really influential herbalists that kind of paved this journey for me to where I am right now, being able to turn around and give all of that information back. Because that's one of the things about herbalism is it came from somewhere. Somebody had to write it down at some point. And at mm -hmm. some point along the, the journey, 
people stopped teaching each other this plant yep. is good for this this plant growing right in your backyard is really good for this they just stopped mm-hmm. telling each other and maybe it wasn't so much that they stopped telling us we stopped listening Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're in that really sweet spot right now where there's this whole generation of people who are coming back to simpler things. And I see it all the time on Instagram. Everybody says, um, I'm running back to my roots. Well, mm-hmm. part of running back to your roots is reclaiming that piece of your health, which is God given. And he gave us dominion over our area and the plants and gave us everything that we really need to take care of our bodies. So Mm -hmm. it seems silly not to tap into something so just natural. Yep. And you hit on like the power of conversation too. Like, I feel like another thing nowadays is like people don't talk to each other. Um, And if you do, you listen only enough to respond you know, so like actually talking to somebody and like that doctor right in your town, like, oh, God put God put them there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I completely know. agree with you. We definitely are more connected now than we have ever been. We have mm-hmm. access to people on continents that we would never come in contact with otherwise. And we are so isolated mm-hmm. and it is insane to see especially in doing foraging classes um people are like wow i literally used to spray like gallons and gallons of pesticides to kill that plant because it's such a nuisance i had no idea that all of the things that i was struggling with in my personal body could be healed by walking outside and plucking this little noxious weed out of my yard and Mm -hmm. utilizing it yeah so yeah i agree we're completely just we don't talk. Yeah. Another, um, another aspect of your journey that I resonated with was the whole, like, uh, you know, you, you dove in head first and you just went for it. Like, um, I was, I was in school to be a dietitian, um, which started with the, you know, the whole wanting to know more about nutrition and how the body works with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I found like, it's just not the clinical side of it is not for me. I am more like, I'm more aligned with you in the, you know, I want to know what I can do in my own yard for my own family. And like, you know, the, the weeds that are growing in the yard or the random plants or, you know, stuff like that. Like, but it all, you just all, you get, it snowballs pretty Mm -hmm. much. (laughs) Like you want to know one thing and then it snowballs to, I have to know all the things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we actually kind of, we kind of fell into homesteading that way because Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, if like our tomatoes taste this good, then I wonder what like chicken would taste like. And and then I wonder what (laughs) pigs would taste like. And now we've got this whole farm and my husband looks at me every day. He's like, how did we get here? And I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) Because you wanted to start a garden. (laughs) Exactly. You bought the seeds. Um, Yeah. You bought the seeds. And we still have no idea what we're doing, but we go out and we give it our best every single day. And people always chuckle. They're like, oh, don't go over to Jen's house because you're going to get pasture raised pork and, and, weeds out of the yard for dinner and i'm like it's true you actually you will you will (laughs) but they're they're good i promise Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's so funny um okay so how so for me somebody who doesn't know really anything about herbalism at all i want to and this is a good start for me (laughs) um but like you know how do you get started 
how did you get started? How does somebody like me kind of get started on that path? Yeah, um, there are so many resources out there. Um, I know for me, I started with the Herbal Academy online. That was the first course I took. They offered, and this was 10 years ago, they offered a mini course that was like, you know, introduction to herbalism. And um, I took that course and then that course led to another course and another course. And I've gone all the way through their advanced courses. Um, and I would say for somebody getting started, that's a really, really easy place to start. Find somebody like the Herbal Academy. Um, Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine is another one. But of all of the coursework that I have done, I have learned the most from sitting under teachers and people who know things about the plants and will actually mm -hmm. take you out into the woods. They'll take you out into your backyard or their backyard or the pastures or wherever and <clears throat> put the plants in your hand and awesome. show you where to find them. And, and so with plants like stinging nettle, you have these tiny little hairs on the undersides of the leaves and then on the stalks and inside of those leaves uh not leaves i'm sorry inside of those tiny little hairs they're like hypodermic needles and they are full of something called formic acid which is the same thing that is found in like red ant stings or bee stings that make them hurt so when you brush up against stinging nettle, those little hairs get into your skin and the acid is then um, injected and that's what creates that burning, which is why it got the name stinging nettle. The cool thing about the way that nature works is where you find stinging nettle, typically within a couple feet of a patch of stinging nettle, you are going to find plants that naturally take that burn or that sting out. So things you're going to find will be um, plantain is a great one. If you chew plantain poultice up and put that on the spot, that will help with the sting. Jewelweed is another great one that contains properties that if made into a poultice or a salve and rubbed on stinging nettle will help remove that sting. So being able to walk out, sitting at a desk, reading a book on the internet or you're on Instagram and there are some phenomenal herbalists on Instagram and they are sharing a wealth of information, but there is absolutely nothing that will ever take away from stepping foot outside with someone who knows what they're doing and actually putting the plants in your hand and saying, this is what you look for. This is what it feels like. This is how you're going to dig the root out. This is the parts you're going to use. And then being able to go back into a setting like your kitchen and show you how to utilize those and actually put that into practice is the best thing that will ever happen when it comes to herbalism. Um, I think that's how it's been done for generations. That's how they did it traditionally with the old shamans and the medicine women. They taught, you know, the up and comers and they went out and they showed them and that was passed down that way. Um, yeah. And it really, truly is, in my opinion, the best way to learn. Find yeah. someone and sit under them. Agreed. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see, switching gears just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of plants do you use the most? Hmm. 
plants that I use the most. Um, so I actually have a very wide repertoire when it comes to plants um, and things that I use. I think for me, my number one would be um, stinging nettle. Uh, and herbalist Matthew Wood actually said, when in doubt, use nettle, like whatever you, whatever the thing is, if you don't know what to use, use stinging nettle because it is just a phenomenal herb. It is one that I highly recommend that everybody gets to know really well. Um, I use a lot of the basics, chamomile, lavender, plantain, ashwagandha, um, passion flower, mimosa, there really is a situational herb or a blend of herbs for everything. So it also kind of depends on what I'm doing. Yeah. But if you want to know kind of what's sitting on my counter 24 seven, I have a gallon jar of nettle on my counter all the time. <laughs> um, because I have Hashimoto's and one of the things with Hashimoto's is there is a huge iodine imbalance in my body mm. and nettle is phenomenal for that. So I have a gallon of nettle tea just infusing on my counter 24 seven and I will eat them raw. I will put them in stuff. We do nettle pesto. So nice. those are kind of what I use the most. Awesome. So that kind of, you kind of hit on um, like preserving and uses in your answer um, for the nettle, but how, I guess, is there a common way to preserve, you know, what you get or it, does it just kind of depend? Yeah. So with your herbs, it's really going to depend on what you're doing. Um, I was out the other day and I harvested a ton of comfrey. And comfrey is not one that you are going to take internally. It is pretty much an external um, uses only. So I stuck it all in the dehydrator and it's actually still sitting in my dehydrator because I've been lazy and have not <laughs> put it in my jars yet. Mm -hmm. um, but dehydrating is a really surefire way to preserve an abundance of harvest. Mm -hmm. um, I do that a lot with nettle. I do that a lot with... Um, shepherd's purse and plantain my rule of thumb kind of goes like this if i am going to utilize this particular herb in an infusion which or a decoction which would be your teas either slow uh short steeped or long steeped i am going to dry that herb for later use <laughs> If I am going to tincture it, then I'm going to do that right away pretty fresh. I'm going to take it out of the yard. I'm going to stuff it in a jar. I'm going to cover it with whatever my liquid is, be it um, vinegar or oil or um, glycerin or alcohol. I'm going to get that taken care of right away because a lot of your tinctures are going to take about six to eight weeks. And if you're utilizing them a lot, it's really good to just keep you, you make some and then you wait a week and then you make another jar because as you go through it, it will keep on your shelf for five years. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're not gonna, it's not gonna go bad. So making it in excess is not a problem. Um, and from there, then I will go into like, am I going to freeze this or am I, how am I going to be using this herb? So I'm always looking at how I use the herb as a whole, um, and that kind of determines my preservation method. Yeah. Gotcha. So in these plants that you can find 
out, you know, just out in nature. Um, is there a way to know how to identify them? Like, I don't know, you know, you see the the apps that you can use that you take a picture of it and like, are those accurate enough or is there something? Yeah. Better? So it kind of depends on the plant. Um, there are plants that look similar enough. I definitely use a plant app when I'm places, I will snap a picture of something and then I will look it up and I'll say, oh, okay. And I'll kind of stick it in the back of my head. Um, I would highly recommend every person if they are going to start foraging to grab a book. Um, and I actually have a couple here that I would highly recommend like Pacific Northwest Medicinal Plants by Scott Kloos. Um, This is a great one. This is Pacific Northwest and I have one for the Southeast. This one's written by Corey Pine Shane. Um, you can find them on Amazon for your region. And they're great because not only do they have photos, but they have fantastic descriptions of the plant. So you make sure you are correctly identifying. And then it will give you what the medicinal uses are and then how to use, what the medicinal properties are, excuse me, and then how to use them. Awesome. So those are fantastic. Uh, Chris Bennett also wrote another book about foraging. His is specifically for South for the Southeast. Um, but yeah, utilize your resources. Apps are great and the internet is fantastic and you can obviously find a wealth of information. But if you're out in the woods trying to forage, you may not have cell service. Right. So now you're standing looking at this plant like, um, is this safe? And you're trying to get on the internet and the internet's not working. And then you pass up an opportunity to potentially harvest a really fantastic plant mm -hmm. because you don't have your resources. So always have something paper hard, you know, in a book, like ready to go in your little foraging bag and then check them. Mm -hmm. um, if you take a picture and you're like, mm, I don't know where it says like, I know for mine, um, I take a picture and it says like, there's a 38% chance it's this plant. Yeah. I'll say like, well, it doesn't really make me feel very comfortable. Right. So I'm going to check my books. Um, and just from being a little bit deeper into it, I actually have this book. It's probably seven and a half inches thick of all of the plants in this area. And there are no photos. It oh. is all description and it's like big 11 syllable scientific word descriptions of these plants and i'm like looking at it and i'm like yeah that sounds right. about right yeah <laughs> we're gonna go with that yeah uh, yeah um, but i have yet to make make a bad choice right. but um you know, it, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Right. So, yeah, that's definitely, definitely something that has kept me back. I think, um, you know, you hear all the horror stories of like, I don't know, uh, the one that comes to mind is like the poison hemlock that looks exactly like something else, except the purple spots on the stem. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Yeah. So it's, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because I, I had that in my notes for this question. Oh, do you? Um, yeah, I did actually. Um, when foraging, make sure you know your plants. Yeah. Um, and if you are second guessing, my recommendation would be to, you know, to leave it. Yeah. Um, because I always would rather people be safe than sorry. And mm -hmm. I did it in a foraging class. Um, there are three that are very common. Uh, Queen Anne's Lace looks mm. a lot like Poison Hemlock, looks a lot like um, Hairy Fruit Cherville. And they're very similar. And just if you had no clue what you were looking for and you walked up and looked at these plants side by side by side, 
you would not really know which one is which. Mm -hmm. And it takes being able to identify the slight differences. Um, like hemlock is not hairy all the way down the stem mm -hmm. and hemlock has purple streaks up the bottom of the stem and the way that the basket sits on the actual flower petals is different from queen on queen anne's lace than it is on hemlock than it is on Cherville. and like you said queen anne's lace has the little drop the little purple flower right in the center and mm -hmm. hemlock doesn't um so there are very subtle differences mm -hmm. Which is why I am consistently telling people, if you can find someone who is really knowledgeable um, to take you out and show you, yeah, by all means, I mean, do it, sign up, pay for it, find someone, ask them to teach you yeah. because there is a wealth of information and knowledge that a whole bunch of people are sitting on mm -hmm. and they are just waiting to share it with someone and if we do not ask the questions, the knowledge will not be passed on. And right. then this beautiful uh, tradition of herbalism is just, it's gonna die. Mm -hmm. I'm coming down to your house. <laughs> yeah, come on down. We're teaching another foraging class here pretty soon. Oh <laughs> yes, see, next time. <laughs> um, okay, so that kind of, I guess that kind of leads into, you know, what do people have in their backyards? Um, and if not, you know, we have, as a society, have gotten into, we need the manicured lawns, you know, so if they don't have it in their backyard, is there a possibility um, to, you know, go out and do it in a public land, say a park or, you know, someplace like that? Yeah, so... Um... We have absolutely, I completely agree with you that we have gotten away from really native species um, in our front yards and our pastures and our meadows and things like that. Um, and I always, my husband and I kind of, we tiff on this one because he really likes the look mm -hmm. of like a big lush green lawn. And I'm like, oh, really? Because <laughs> that green lawn is kind of a waste of space. Right. Like it's a waste of good food and animals and all the things. And he's like, I just want one, just one <laughs> green lawn. And I'm like, no, I'm not throwing dandelion seeds in the front lawn. And he's like, just one. I know. I let my um, kids do that too. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh, shaking them all over the ground. <laughs> um, but just very simple. Um, the questions that I would ask first are in your own lawn, do you spray? Um, how long have you been there? Do you know if the people that were there, if you just got there, did the people before you spray? So those are all things to kind of take into consideration when you are looking to harvest food. Uh, we call it wild crafting or foraging. Um, because if you're putting this in your body, you want to make sure that it is as clean as possible. Um, so I would say, how long have you been there? Do you spray? Have you sprayed? Things like that is would be my first question. Then once we have gotten past that, like, no, we don't spray ever. We've been here for 15 years. I just need to know what's growing. Great. Um, I actually recently taught a foraging class at a friend's farm and I She's like, we have to hike up the mountain to get, like I was scouting all of these places and I kind of laughed and I'm standing literally a hundred feet from her front door. And I said, you know, I am looking at like six, eight different medicinal and edible plants 
right here. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I started pointing them out and she's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea these were here. I thought we were going to have to hike up and down the hills and to the back of the property. And we did not, I taught a four hour foraging class and we did not leave we didn't go any farther than about 250 feet from our front door. That's awesome. Um, and it was just a ton of stuff that she had. She's actually getting ready to sell. And I sent her a message and I was like, hey, can I go forward before, before you do that? <laughs> right. Is there like a way that I can get out there one more time? Um but yeah, they have people have access to a ton of things that they didn't even realize. Plantain is a great one. You can find it just about anywhere. Um, dead nettle is another one. I know so many people will see dead nettle pop up. It's that like first really pretty fuzzy purple flowered um, kind of, I call it like a wink of spring. Like it pops up in, in like the end of winter beginning as it's just starting to warm up. Dead nettle is fantastic. You want something for seasonal allergies, pick it while you have it and then mm-hmm. tincture it because it is one of the best things that you have on hand for dealing with seasonal allergies. Um, and you can find that all over the place. Dandelions are another great one. If you can find dandelions and you know that they have not been sprayed, dig them up. The entire plant is edible from the leaves to the yellow flower heads to the roots. Dig those roots up and use the roots. The roots are fantastic for using to detoxify the liver. Um, I am not going to go into all of the uses of the plants (laughs) because I could literally talk about that for hours, but those just those couple clover um red and white clover pick the clover heads i know a lot of parents will let their little kids crawl around in the grass and you know i was watching kids at the homestead festival this weekend and they're like picking up the grass and they're eating it and these parents are like oh my gosh don't eat the grass and i'm like no no eat the grass like that's great that's clover like that tastes like vanilla um but clover's a great one do the clover um doc curly doc patient doc um you'll find it everywhere it's just that big annoying weed that you can't get rid of no matter what you do um shepherd's purse is another great one they really are just they're everywhere and those are just the medicinal ones um dandelion is one that kind of straddles you can just eat it you can cook the leaves they're fantastic mm-hmm. um as like a spinach substitute but then you go into just your edibles like daylilies. The daylily plant is completely edible. You can eat the flowers. You can eat the tubers like potatoes, um, red buds. You go out and strip the flowers off of red bud trees and make red bud jelly or red bud syrup. It's really? Amazing. Um, we have this huge bush that grows at the side of our house called the Japanese knotwood. And when the shoots come up out of the ground, it literally looks like leafless Swiss chard. Um, and you cut those off and it is edible and it tastes like Swiss chard. Um, and it really is. I mean, there is food all around us. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to know how to identify it and then how to prepare it. Yeah. So... And who doesn't love being able to go out in the front yard and get free food? Like right. I always tell my kids, like, you're hungry, go just there's, you know, there's stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they actually joke, like, we'll go to the grocery store and we'll, we'll grocery shop and people are like, oh, wow, you guys are buying a lot of food. My kids are like, yeah, because we have three freezers full of meat. So we were basically eating meat and lawn clippings. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's not that bad. Right. <laughs> but it kind of is because we're out there foraging for all of this stuff that just grows in our yard. Mm -hmm. that is 
nourishing and free. Yep. Free. Everybody loves free. Everybody loves free. <laughs> yeah. My husband actually used to be a chef and he swears by dandelion greens. Like he'll talk all the time about like a dandelion green salad or, you know, just with a vinaigrette on it and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like them. Um, um, I just um, wilt them with a little bit of butter and some red wine vinegar and some garlic. And it's amazing. <laughs> Um, okay, so then when you go out, do you have a specific plant or, you know, uh, use in mind? Or do you kind of just go out to see what you can find? Um, it kind of depends. There are sometimes where we will go out and just kind of do a free-for-all and we'll try to see what we can find. Um, there are other times, depending on what time of the year it is. Mm-hmm that we are out looking for very specific things. Um, So like during redbud season, we go out specifically for redbuds. We are there to harvest like a five gallon bucket of redbuds. And if I happen upon other things that are edible, of course I will grab them. Um, I know when we did redbuds, we were also really lucky to find uh, some spruce tips. So I pulled spruce tips. Um, another one that we did at that time was the wild blackberry shoots had started coming up, but they weren't super big and very thorny yet. So we were able to kind of dig some of those and, and pull blackberry root. Um, so while we will definitely go out at times with a very specific intention in mind, mm-hmm. um, be really open to whatever you can find because we have gone out looking for certain things and not found what we are looking for, but we end up with, you know, a basket full of other things. So awesome. Um, okay. So then I guess the last question before we kind of wrap up is, is there anything else that you want, um, people to know specifically? Hmm. Um, let's see, I would say kind of going back to what we touched on earlier, um, private land, public land, Mm -hmm. um, really, really know your, your areas, um, look at them, kind of watch them. Are they spraying? Do they, how do they manage their land? Things like that is really important. Um, and an encouragement if i could leave anybody with an encouragement it is jump in get started try it um when learning there is such a vast world to herbalism um you are never going to know every plant uh and i pride myself on having a very large toolbox when it comes to knowing my herbs um and their properties and what they do and how you can utilize them and all of those things. Um, and actually I was tested this weekend. We were walking around the the homestead festival and my son is pointing to plants and he's like, what's this? What's this? What's this? And I'm, so I'm like rattling off the names of all of these plants. And then he gets to this bush and he's like, and what is this? And I stared at the bush and I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. And he goes, what? 
Uh-oh. I'm shocked. <laughs> a plant. Mom doesn't know. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to be so. And he's like, no, seriously, I thought you knew everything. Oh. So I was like, well, <laughs> thank you. But I don't. Um, even the best of the best of the best are still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, we are learning things about herbs every single day. And it is ever-changing, ever-evolving. So be really patient with yourself. There is a lot to learn. When getting started, you know absolutely nothing except plants are green and they grow in the dirt and they need sun and water. I want to know about herbalism. What I tell every single one of my students is pick three. Pick three herbs. Start with that. And for every three herbs, get to know the plant, grow them, use them in every way that you can use them. Um, For me, I started with stinging nettle. I started with lavender. I started with chamomile. Um, Start with the basics and things that you're going to find growing in your area or that you are going to be able to grow very easily. And then, go from there, add two more, add, you know, one at a time and really, really familiarize yourself because the more that you spend time with them and using them, you are going to begin to build confidence in yourself that will then push you outside of that comfort zone a little bit at a time. And before you'll know it, you'll look back and you'll be like, wow, I have this repertoire of like 30 herbs that I know really well. So when something happens, I know exactly where to go. Um, The other thing with herbalism is use what you've got. There are phenomenal herbs. And one that I always talk about is uh, like rhodiola. Rhodiola is amazing. It is an amazing herb, but it only grows in the Andes. That is the only place that they can grow it. It is in the Andes. And you have to purchase it from a supplier. And while I think there are amazing suppliers that do amazing things, getting these herbs into the hands of people, you have so many other herbs right there in your own backyard that do very similar things that aren't coming from, you know, thousands of miles away. They're accessible. And start with those. Learn what is in your area. Learn what you have access to. Um, I have some friends that have amazing farms that are actually growing herbs for me so that I can shorten my distribution area um, and we can really keep everything local. Mm-hmm. And I really, really stress use what's in your area because we're talking about preserving tradition, right? And herbalists and medicine women and shaman and all of these people from long, long ago, they didn't have access to plants that were thousands and thousands of miles away. They used what they had in their immediate area. And if you talk to me and then you go talk to my friend uh, Kaylee, who is an herbalist in Virginia, what I am going to recommend you use for something is going to be completely different than what she's going to recommend because herbalism is very much one of those things where you have five plants that do very similar things and I have a preference and she has a preference based on how we learned and that is going to sway one way or another which direction you're going to take when it comes to choosing your herbs Mm -hmm. so use what you have access to um it also makes it really easy to get really familiar with the plants that you have chosen yeah I think the pick three is a really good piece of advice. Um, I have 
mint growing um that actually it was my mother-in-law's at their house and we transplanted it over to ours um and this year that's like my goal is to get to know how i can use it and because it's just been growing and you know it spreads so i have a whole bunch of it um Mm -hmm. i just uh i just put some in a big big mason jar filled it up with vodka and put it on the (laughs) put it on the shelf um and then i dried some for tea but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you got to start small. And I think that goes with like just, you know, homesteading in general. Like you have to know, you have to start small, start with one thing instead of trying to pile on a whole bunch of stuff because then things get lost um, or forgotten or, you know, mixed up. So I think that's a really good piece of advice. Yeah, um, especially with herbalism, because there's so many herbs, you go Mm -hmm. and you can pick up an herb book off the shelf. And it will have, you know, right there on the title, it says 500 medicinal herbs. And you're like, Oh, this is amazing. (laughs) But then when it comes time to actually utilize the herb, you go to the index of the book, and you're like headache, headache, and, and then it lists 17 herbs that you can use for headache. Okay, well, what kind of a headache is it? Is mm-hmm. it a sinus headache? Is it, you know, where is it located? Is it from being stressed? Is it from being tired? Is it from being dehydrated? Is it from being malnourished? Is it a mineral deficiency? Like what kind of a headache is it? Mm-hmm. Because that is also going to determine what kind of herbs that you're using. Um So people get really discouraged because they're basically just like throwing darts at this board, like something stick and it's not working because the beautiful thing about herbalism is you treat the body as a whole. Um, It is not like conventional medicine where we're just going to basically throw a bunch of pills and Mm -hmm. see what works and we're just deal with the side effects later. We are truly, truly treating the root cause of the symptoms and the body as a whole. And it allows the herb to work to support your body and give your body what it needs to support itself in reaching homeostasis, which is obviously what you want. Right. Um, And that's just too many. 500 is too many. Like <laughs> I, I don't even know 500 herbs. And I think to be registered with the herbalist guild, it's like, you have to have a, I think 145 herbs that you like know mm-hmm. in your repertoire um, to be able to be considered like a registered, like top of the top. Like I know what I'm talking about kind of herbalist. Yeah. So start really small, have a lot of grace. Um, pick really ordinary herbs. Um, I'm actually getting ready to teach a class on pantry herbalism because some of the best herbs that you have access to are literally sitting on the shelf in your pantry and you didn't even know that they are phenomenal medicinal allies because you just throw them in your pasta sauces and you're like, cool, this is awesome. It tastes great. And it does and it works. But did you know that you can also use the same plant like oregano for dealing with other things outside of just making your pasta sauce taste good. Mm -hmm. So, so you said that you have, so you've got the foraging classes and then you said you're going to do a um, like pantry class. Is there anything else that you have in the works and um, where can people find you all the things? Um, Yeah. So actually we are working right now on a pretty decent lineup of classes that we will be rolling out. Um, 
I try to do on site classes. We hosted a few classes um, early spring at a friend's farm. And then I will be doing a few more of those on-site classes. Um, but then I've also opened the uh, Zoom avenue so that we can kind of broaden people who were able to come because I was getting messages from people all over the place who were like, I really want to come to this class, but I just can't make it to Tennessee, which is fine. Um, I will absolutely share the information with you. So we're going to offer zoom classes now um we are working on the pantry class we are working on one that is um stocking your herbal apothecary and i am working on one i'm just calling it the like oh shoot my kid's sick now what <laughs> class i think we're gonna have to refine the title what? just a little bit <laughs> but i'm working on it um but really just a preparation for those times when, mm -hmm. you know, it's the middle of the night and your kid wakes up and they're coughing or they're congested or whatever the thing is. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I do? Um, and really preparing people for those. I will do a uh, fall foraging class. I have a um, medicinal uh, weeds or medicinal allies ebook that i'm getting ready to release yes i'm so, super excited about that one <laughs> yeah so there's just um a couple of things that are kind of coming down the pipeline that have been really exciting for me because sitting in my living room even like two years ago i really did herbalism for me and my family mm -hmm. um it was just something that i was doing for us to to help kind of that run back to your roots. Um, I really wanted to step out of the circle of crazy of Western medicine. Yeah. And I really dove very hard um, into like, people need this information. Like yeah. this is stuff that I need to get into other people's hands. And as I started sharing it a little bit more then people were just like we need this so mm -hmm. it kind of snowballed very quickly so i never thought uh two years ago i'd be sitting in this spot but <laughs> it has been a whirlwind and i absolutely love every minute of it yeah agreed that's beautiful um so i just wanted to say thank you again for coming on here and talking to me um i have had a fantastic and just amazing time talking to you um i learned a lot <laughs> so i know everybody else will too um, if people want to find you, uh, social media, website, you know, all the things where, where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me is over on Instagram, little homestead in the Hills. Um, the apothecary has an Instagram page. I am just terrible about updating it because I like, I, you know, a busy mom with a business and a farm. Um, everything just kind of goes over on the little homestead in the Hills page. We do have a website that we are in the process of trying to shift everything over. So it's kind of empty right now. Um, and then an Etsy shop, but Etsy keeps kicking me off of their shop for violating community guidelines. So I have had people message me and say, Jen, I tried to order something and I can't even find you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm an Etsy timeout again. <laughs> so just tell me what you want and I will just send it to you. Yeah. Um, 
And that has actually been really amazing because I feel like I've kind of, I told my husband, I was like, I feel like a bootlegger a little bit. Like <laughs> when right. you're selling tinctures, like you oh. send me Venmo money and I send you a tincture. Um, but yeah, that has been the easiest way right now because the system does not like the fact that we are taking yeah. back our power and we are no longer lining the pockets of big pharma. We are right. finding free ways to do it. So yep. um, they keep kicking me off, but yeah, go check us out on Instagram, follow our journey over there. So with the um, release of this episode, we have done a um, collaborative to be able to release an ebook that I wrote for foraging. It's just a pocket guide. It gives some pretty basic herbs that you would find, things like plantain, um, elderberry, stinging nettle, um, cleavers, just some things that are very easy to find in your area. They grow pretty commonly across the United States. Things like plantain you can find all over the world. So it is a very accessible beginner's guide to just getting outside and finding some of these things that you would normally find in your yard that we mow over or spend tons of money trying to kill that are really, truly very powerful medicinal allies and things that as we move a little bit further into our homestead journeys, you're going to want to have these things on hand. So... I thought being able to release the foraging guide along with the foraging episode would just be a really cool way to kind of get people um, something in people's hands also that gets them not just listening to the episode, but then take that one extra step to actually go outside and say like, oh, I have plantain growing or I have yarrow growing or there's elderberries, you know, down the road and I can collect these things to be able to support my family in a way that kind of takes a little bit of the power back from big box stores or even big pharma. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited that. about that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm super excited for this. Like I, I know it's going to be um, something that I definitely go get and take advantage of. We have so much stuff growing in our yard and I have no idea how to start. So that's going to be a, definite good source to start with. Yeah. Um, and for our listeners, we have something a little extra, correct? Yes. So for all of the listeners, they will receive a 15% off code. If you use, um, we'll put it down in the description. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, no, thank you for having me. And any, any other last minute things? No, guys, get out there and forage. It is, um, it's a beautiful thing. Nature has provided us with so much. And I truly, truly feel like stepping out your front door and opening your eyes to what God has given us. And just, there is so much empowerment and beauty and just natural health out there that we have so much access to. And if things like this episode don't happen and we don't share this information, it just gets lost. So mm -hmm. share it with everybody because yep. a little bit of information and a little bit of free food is great for the world. Yep. 